to set the tone for the meeting, I will read an extract from Dr. Bob's Nightmare, page 180 and 181. I spend a great deal of time passing on what I learn to others who, who want it and need it badly. I do it for four reasons. One, a sense of duty. Two, it's a pleasure. Three, because in so doing, I am paying my debt to the man who took time to pass it on to me. Four, because every time I do it, I take out a little more insurance for myself against a possible slip. Uh, tonight's meeting is part five of working step 12 with the sponsee and Tim will share anything between 30 and 45 minutes on the topic, after which the floor will be open for questions rather than the typical sharing. And with that, I will hand it over to Tim. Thank you. Your brave souls being here for part five of anything. Uh, I wouldn't be. Anyway, Tim Alcoholic, thank you for having me back. We've got three topics left on step 12. I have a feeling there's like something else that's going to come after that, but we'll see when we get there. Um, I think Ellie Sheva's been talking about that. Anyway, 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 um, tonight, the remaining topics, although more may pop up, are drama, drama, that's drama, families, maybe a separate topic, maybe the same topic. Unsure. We'll see and workplace, which is kind of dull. So I don't want to bore myself, so I'll go in with drama. Let me open a window. Okay, so dealing with dramatic sponsees, um, I kind of didn't get the hang of it for around 26 and a half years. So um, it took a while to work out the kinks. Um, I had a very, very dramatic sponsee many years ago who um, I suggested that they do uh, uh, tea at a meeting. And they were very good. They got the little flasks full of hot water, put out the tea and coffee very neatly and tidily, and the biscuits. Of course, biscuits are very important. Um, and then they would sit as far away from the tea as possible, leaving people to serve themselves. And I suggested, well, that's kind of not the point of the tea commitment. It's, it's that you get to talk to everyone. And the individual in question said that uh, in, in her family of origin, you always know, I get always get slightly tense when I hear that phrase, you know, because you kind of know what's coming. Um, uh, in, in my family of, my family of origin, um, um, I was made to play the servant role. So me doing tea at the meeting, it just triggers me because it reminds me of that. So I'm not going to do that. I'm going to sit on the other side of the room and they can serve themselves. And on one level, I can, I can kind of see that, whatever, fair enough. But this becomes a pattern of, it became a pattern of resistance and drama. One night, for reasons I can't remember, why I did, why my phone was on, I have no idea. This was about, oh, 17, maybe 18, 19 years ago. My phone was on and it rang at 3.30 in the morning. And the poor individual was, you know, when someone is sobbing so hard, they can't say anything. 
it's just sobbing for like four or five minutes until the sobbing stops. And it was something about they were going to go to a family wedding and they didn't want to go to the family wedding. And I said, oh, fine, you know, uh, if you don't want to go, don't go. But there we go. It's as simple as that. You don't, you don't have to do anything. If it's traumatising, you don't have to do it. Um, now, you deal with each of these situations and you think, well, I'm being a very, very good sponsor. Right? Look, I, I'm giving solutions and the solutions are, are you know, are appreciated and the person is continuing to call back. But the difficulty is that with sponsees where there's lots of drama, um, is one day you're going to be the subject matter of the drama. What do you do then? You're now that you're now. Everyone gets to take a turn as the problem. So you're you might be you you might be flavor of the month for a while, helping them deal with other dramas. But one day you become the drama. One day I became the drama. I, I phoned Maureen. I said I don't know what to do about this, and she said, um, uh, "You tell the individual." I don't think I'm the right person to sponsor you and you wish them well and send them off into the night. And as you're walking away, don't mutter under your breath. And I can't imagine who would be. So, you know, be kind about it. Don't say that. Uh, say about a tenth of what is going through your mind. Say only what is necessary. When you get to the point that you've become part of the problem, um, drama can happen in two ways. It can happen in. Uh, it can be positive drama or negative drama. What I mean by positive drama, sometimes, uh, you know, most sponsees are like totally businesslike, um, you know, in conversations with you, they're like the cat and Pepe Le Pew. They can't get off the phone quick enough. It's fine. This is healthy. But the ones who are too keen, ooh, you've got to be very, very careful. There was one I did not know what they wanted from. But there was something. I didn't know what it was. So I said, I said to them, why don't you write down what you think it is that you want from me? And they sent me this email, which, which sends shudders down my spine to this day. Um, it was a, they wrote, okay, I wrote 27 points. Now that's, that's trouble to start with, isn't it? You know, <laughs> you know you're in for a long day. Um, and the first point was, I want your fingers to enter my brain and massage truth into my soul. And at this point, I deleted the email. I deleted the, I emptied the deleted items folder. And ever since I've regretted it, thinking, oh, I'd love to know what the other 26 items were, but, but it's <laughs> lost, very much lost to posterity. And I terminated the relationship then and there. I should have terminated it way before. They phoned up very dramatically one day, like two o'clock Thursday afternoon. And there was this kind of, the first thing was this reproachful question. Did you say or did you not say that Jesus Christ was the son of God? I'm like, I'm in the middle of a work. Is this... This is an urgent question. I, where is this coming from? So, so drama, it can be that kind of when they want to entangle with you. Or 
the drama can appear to be about everyone else. Um, with very, I've got the hang of very dramatic people now, and very, very few call me because I'm not available for the, I'm not available and available for the drama dance. And you kind of give off vibes when you're no longer available for the, a certain type of dance. People stop asking you to dance a particular dance. Um, but the things that, the, the way I, what I've learned from having very dramatic sponsees over the years is I didn't cause it, I can't control it, and I sure as hell can't cure it. And something that Joe said many years ago was that their drama is their balm, is their ointment for their inner sense of inadequacy and guilt and shame and so on. That rather than facing that, they immediately go into blame and, 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 and drama. Um, and that's a useful avenue to, uh, because I'm, what I don't want to give the impression of is if someone is very dramatic, there's nothing you can do, there's a lot you can do. There are cases where it goes so far that it's just ir irremediable, at least with you. Maybe you'll, you've gotten to the next stage, they'll handle it with someone else. But, but how to deal with it? Okay, so first of all, sometimes you can redirect the attention to what are the feelings you're trying to avoid by creating this drama in the first place. There's the whole borderline personality thing where, as, as Tom said, uh, you know, borderline personality, people are happy only when everyone around them is in chaos is to look at what are you getting out of this drama? What is the kick? So let's not look at the content. It's not about the content. It's about the fact that there is a drama being created again and again and again. And it's just like the cycles in the big book with the alcoholic and the doctor's opinion of um, the ease and comfort that you get from uh, the first stages of a dramatic situation. Um, followed by the, the well-known stages of the spree and then emerging remorseful. Then they emerge remorseful at the end of the cycle. I say they, I mean, it's not like I have done this. The only way I can deal with it is because I used to be like this myself. Um, you get people to look at the cycle because it's not about the content. If you solve one, another one will crop up the next day because it's the machine that's generating the dramas, which is the problem. The drama which is occurring is simply the whatever tools are available, whatever, whoever's there will be the subject matter of the drama. It's not where it's not coming from the situation. The situation is being used. And that's a useful conversation you can have. A second conversation, this is a very common one, uh, when people are very, uh, very sort of upset and it's someone else's fault. So this is very common with the sort of Essanon and Alanon. Um, uh, with, with the alcoholic, where they think it's everyone else's fault, uh, very often, and because I've been on both sides, I've been the typical alcoholic character and the typical Alanon character. The typical alcoholic character expects everyone else to do everything for them so they don't have to do it for themselves. And the typical Al-Anon is to play the hero or the martyr. So they're doing, you know, you're doing all the laundry, you're doing everything right, you're doing the dinner, you're doing the cleaning, you're doing everything. Why can't they just help with something? Occasionally, it wouldn't hurt if they folded a sock. 
you know, that kind of anger. And they're, they're kind of two different situations because it's very clear with the alcoholic who's just going around causing trouble, not lifting a finger, that they're the problem. With the Alanons and the Essanons, from my own experience of being an Alanon, actually probably an Essanon candidate as well. Um, I won't go any further. Um, uh, it can, it can look superficially as though the problem is originating elsewhere. Um, but the way I'm, I handle it, and this is the way I handle my own propensity to drama, is to say, in any dramatic situation, um, the situation may command a response from me, but I won't know what the response is until I'm at peace. Because let's say you think there are 10 things wrong in a relationship with a person and you're furious about lots of them. And then you get calm and you realize nine of them are rubbish or inconsequential or not even a problem. One of them is a genuine problem. The one that's a genuine problem now looks completely different anyway, now that you're calm. And then you notice something else which does need to change, which was being masked by your own rage. So it's vital if you're going to act right in a tricky relationship, but it's a work relationship or an AA relationship or a group situation, unless you're at peace, you're going to mess it up anyway. You're going to act where it's none of your business. You're going to misapprehend the situations which genuinely command a response and act wrong in those. And you're going to miss the other things which are being masked. So uh, a lot of the drama the, the form it usually takes is infamy, infamy. They've all got it in for me. The, the, uh, the blame thrower, not the flamethrower, the blame thrower, where I feel bad, I'm being so mistreated, blah, blah, blah. And for years, I tried to unpick the content of those situations, and it never worked. I, I mean, you can kind of superficially do it. And people are sort of happy because you've given them some attention, actually rather a lot of attention. Often, you know, 90% of my sponsee time was going on the 10% of sponsees that were excessively dramatic. That's not a great use of time. But the sponsees were pleased because they were calm. And part of the kind of acting out is to create the situation which is itself a balm to the internal God-shaped void and secondly, to get all of like the help and the attention from a sponsor or a therapist or a whoever else. And that's, that's like part two of the ointment. And then once they've got those two elements, they've got the thrill and then they get the relief, um, they're done. And then they're quiet for a day or two days and then it all starts up again. So dealing, unpicking the content, What's in, what was fascinating about these dramatic situations, particularly in the last couple of years, like between 24 years and 26 years, I started seeing that every single drama with a particular person was the, actually the same drama, repeating, wearing different clothes. And all of that unpicking had done absolutely nothing. None of it had gone in. None of it had penetrated the subconscious. None of it had had any effect at all. Um, and I've switched tack. And the tack I've switched is this. Uh, and it's that, let me just get rid of the call. There we go. Uh, the tack I've switched is this. Um, I, I had a number of, of 
emotional difficulties for a number of years from the from around 20 years sober onwards uh like all of my personal relationships were largely fine it was um sort of seething resentments against categories of people in the world i classed as idiotic and dangerous whether they are idiotic and and or dangerous is another question they might be but my problem was sitting in my living room or going for a walk in leafy de Beauvoir town. I was fulminating with rage about these categories of people, not doing anything about it, anything, but just fulminating with rage. Doing inventory after inventory, thinking if only I analyze the third column carefully enough, then maybe something would pop. And then occasionally I'd see through it and then it would go. Um, but what I learned was that it, it's, as I've already said, it's not about the content. It's about the fact that the rage, the anger, or whatever, the fear also um, is, uh, contains it. Is, that's the drug. That's the drug. I've got to stop taking the drug. It's not about how to handle these situations or these types of people. It's the fact I'm continuing to feed myself the drug. So what I've switched to uh, with myself, and this is what I've then shown to sponsees, and it, it, it's, it's, it's much more helpful than what I was doing before, is to say, right, um, I, I sometimes recount the story. I was in the, um, uh, the, the Hofboy house, not in Munich, but in Las Vegas, you know, the, the Munich Bavarian beer hall and I was with my sponsor and with two steely-eyed Alanons who were several thousand years old and I said something flippant you know to break the ice the tension at the table and this old old Alanon said did you know in Alanon in Texas Obviously, because Al-Anon in Texas is different than Al-Anon elsewhere. So in Al-Anon in Texas, a slip is a negative thought. I then stayed largely silent for the rest of the, for the, rest of the conversation, having nothing to say. Um, and so the, the job is to, uh, with my own propensity to, to, to drama in whatever form it takes is to treat that as being the case, as slip as a negative thought. And so you treat it like a game. Your ego will tempt you many times a day to start thinking negative thoughts about this or about that. And generally it'll come, into, come in one of um, three forms. Um, there's resentment, uh, and the subversions of that are uh, resentment against oneself. So remorse, game, re re remorse, shame, guilt, all of those. But that's just resentment against oneself. Resentment. Second one, fear. Third one, plotting. Plotting, scheming, planning, devising, arguing with them in your mind, winning the argument in your mind so that you're prepared for the next conversation so they won't outwit you. Those are the three mental habits. Um, what my experience is, is that those mental habits need to be broken to detoxify myself 
when I detoxify myself and look at the wreckage of the situation, the truth is immediately self-evident. I tried to explain or try to lead people back from the drama to what sanity would be in a situation. And this is the thing I've stopped doing because I don't think it can be done. It's just like with a drink. You can't argue someone sober who's been drinking. You can't argue someone sane who's in one of their hysterical banshee moments. What you have to do is to stop the poison entering the system and have them detox. So it's to replace all resentful thoughts with this is a sick man. How can I be helpful? This is just another child of God. How can I be helpful? To replace um, uh, the fear thoughts, to substitute for the fear, fear thoughts. God, is there any practical action you'd like me to take or I'm going to trust this whole situation is in your hands and go and do something else. Uh, so so to, to, to practice the Emmett Fox notion of substitution. And you get immediate results. Now, people will push back hugely against this. I had someone not unusually pushing back. It was about the, 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 the situation was um, uh, where a, a family member was behaving badly and the family member may or may not be behaving badly and the question was uh do i need to tell him and list for him all the things he's doing wrong shall i do that and the answer lies in the just for today card i won't regulate anybody anybody but myself my feelings may be hurt but if they are hurt i won't show it and a slip as a negative thought, replace any resentment and fear with the appropriate positive thinking. And when you're at peace, then we can discuss how you're handling the situation and whether any action needs taken. But you can't, we're not even going to look at that until, uh, uh, until you're at peace and have been at peace for some time, because it's a waste of time trying to change things when you're upset. And the put you get all sorts of pushbacks um one of the pushbacks is um but therapists always say that you have to tell people the negative ways in which their behavior is affecting you actually someone you so i've been using that as an example apocryphally for some time there's someone actually said it today and i understand that you know i've had therapists and i said well i don't know do what you want if you want to do what the therapist says do what the therapist says all i can tell you is i've been in a relationship with someone for 17 years we don't argue we're happy and these are the rules that i follow so take your pick so you're not arguing if you as soon as you're arguing you're losing first and last time i quote ronald reagan um, if, if you're arguing, if, if you're explaining, that's it, if you're explaining, you're losing. I'm sure uh, Evan, if he's here, will correct me. Uh, if you're explaining, you're losing. Um, so just to, it's that, it's that Course in Miracles thing. If you apply the solution, you don't analyze the solution because analyze means anal lies. If you take a huge, to analyze is chop it into little bits and look at each of the individual little bits. If you take a person and you chop in, chop them into little bits 
uh, then you won't learn anything about the person. You'll only learn about the little bits. Um, I've never chopped a person into little bits, I should add. I, I've been reliably informed this by my mobster friends of whom I have none, that if you chop people into little pieces, they can't tell you anything useful. Um, if, I analyze a, if I analyze the solution, it's the, it's the cockroach defending itself against the exterminator. Um, you know, if you ask the cockroach its view as to, you know, whether the exterminator should be in the kitchen and what kind of powder they're using, the cockroach is not going to help you achieve your objective. They're going to they're going to argue. It, it's like certainly around this part of East London. I don't know if they have them where you live. You know, those dogs which always look angry. And then they rush up at people angrily and barking and they say, oh, don't worry, he's only playing. He just wants to play, just friendly. Those dogs, you know, when you give them a newspaper, within seven seconds, there's a pile of, there's a pile of newspaper on the floor. They've ripped it all up and they look up at you pleased with themselves. The same if you give one of them a soft toy or something, within seven seconds, it's completely destroyed and they look pleased with themselves. That's my mind in response to a solution. You give the solution to my mind, it analyzes it, it destroys it, and it is pleased with itself. So I don't discuss the solution. Like one thing that I've been giving people is, um, oh my God, you just, this goes straight, this goes straight. This is like the crucifix in the heart of the vampire, like with a spiky end to the, the crucifix. Um, to repeat every time you have a negative thought about another person or yourself, I am innocent, they are innocent. I am innocent, they are innocent. And people almost literally start hissing at you when you suggest that as a, but they're not innocent. <laughs> um, you get them doing that and everything starts to change straight away. Um, uh, but you, they've got to do it. There's no point in trying to understand it. So people say, but I don't understand why they're innocent. No, 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 you don't have to understand it. You just have to apply it. And it's just like in Course in Miracles lessons where they say, you, you don't have to like, you don't have to like the solution. You don't have to agree with it, but you, all you have to do is apply it and then you'll find out it's true. It's only through application that you find out it's true. And what this does, this is brilliant because it means you don't have to have, you don't have to perform an exorcism on them, which is what it's like dealing with dramatic people otherwise. If you engage in the content, you're now in a scene from The Exorcist. You know when the, the, the you know, the girl is levitating off, white's always a girl, I don't know, but when the girl is levitating, Freud would tell you, when the girl is levitating off the bed, and the priest, there's like the young priest and the old priest. And the young priest is trying to address the demon inside the person. And the girl is speaking with the demon's voice. And the demon knows everything about the young priest and then and incorporates all of its knowledge about the young priest and the young priest's deepest, darkest fears into its rebuttal, into its argument against the exorcism. And 
you had the old priest saying basically don't engage with any of that stuff it's all lies you've got to see you've got to don't touch the material otherwise you get the material all over you and you become part of the problem as soon as you're part of their problem you've lost they're gonna have to go on to they've burnt you out it's like the fuse has gone um you're done they have to go on to the next one um but that those that basic sort of emmet fox course in miracles approach works and if they work the steps systematically so the, the 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 way you address the situation is through the systematic formal approach of step four if you're going to address it at all which goes very very systematically you know um, and i won't rehearse it now we've done it in another in another of these talks about first column second column third column forgiveness um page 67 questions fear inventory sex inventory sane and sound ideal which is the approach but and each of those however sick someone is if they're willing they can go through that but you can't short circuit that in the kind of step 10 situation with someone who is on their high horse just doesn't work so you've got to shoot straight to the detox process and then when they're calm as i say 90 percent of the structure collapses they realize they've been crazy and it's obvious to them how um what else do we need to know about dramatic um situations don't take it personally and I repeat that don't take it personally the dramatic ones the dramatic sponsees um have got a way of involving and entangling you uh and if you're not careful you get involved and entangled and when it when this is the therapist. You see, this is the therapist in Big Little Lies. When it breaks down, because it's going to break down. It's not if. When it breaks down, then uh, you've got to be very careful what you say to people who are very dramatic because they will tell everyone else, except they won't, <laughs> they won't tell everyone else exactly what you said. They'll tell everyone else their version of what you said. So you've got to be very, very careful. But the point is... Um, uh it's not about you um it's about them so one mustn't get involved and even when it breaks down um there might be all sorts of fallout in your home group or locally you just stand firm and you muscle muscle through it basically uh and it can be unpleasant uh, the point, therefore, is to avoid getting to that stage where you stay, you basically keep the same arm's length business-like approach with the very dramatic people as with everyone else. So the, the temptation, if you've got an, an, an Al-Anon streak, is to, uh, is to get more involved and to see this as a project as, as um, I can't remember who said it, uh, when, when you respond to the prospect of a dramatic phone call from a sponsee with a mixture of excitement and dread, like A, here's a fascinating project, but B, you feel slightly sick at the same time. Those situations, I want to be careful of that because what I'm doing is what they're doing. 
So they have a drama about whoever else, and then they become your drama. Then you're telling all your friends and you're telling your sponsor and you go you into your extra Al-Anon meeting, hoping the qualifier doesn't show up, you know. You see what I mean? I, I can replicate that. I can do what they're doing. It's almost contagious drama. It's almost contagious. It's an extraordinary, the whole dynamic is extraordinary. And it's the, um, uh, uh, someone here will know more about this than me. They disappeared. It's in there. Um, the the uh, the the, dra the drama triangle of the the victim, the persecutor, and the rescuer, and uh, the danger if you've got someone who is playing the victim role in the drama triangle that you've been cast as the rescuer. And the thing about the 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 Carpman C K A R P M A N going read about it Cartman drama triangle and the funky thing about the Cartman drama triangle is the roles aren't fixed so on Monday you're they're the victim and you're the rescuer but then something weird happens and suddenly you become the victim and they become the, the persecutor and you didn't see like how could this happen to me you enter the triangle when you enter the triangle that's when the musical chairs start and when the music stops the seat you're nearest to is the one you're sitting in for the next period until the music starts up again so one's got to stay outside the triangle very difficult the reason this is very difficult is someone who is in a drama cycle is going to look like very much like an ordinary person with a situation and it can take two or three uh calls or two or, two or three problem solving situations before you realize oh okay so this is a pattern this 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 is not problem solving this is something else this is a historical reenactment of an unresolved drama from childhood or wherever and you know we're reenacting the civil war basically trying to get the ending to change but the ending never changes because it's fixed the, 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 the ending is determined by the rules of the game. The parameters of the game determine the end. The, 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 the payoff is the victimhood, which is why people don't want to be relieved of it. And I know this because that was me. You know, you, the only way I know anything is because I've done, I did it for decades <laughs> until finally I was relieved of it myself. Now I can see it playing out. So um, I think that's all I've got to say on drama. It's a very difficult subject. That's all I've got to say on drama. Does anyone have anything to ask? What I'm going to do, if I may, and obviously if there are, if other questions arise, just just comes you know put your little hand up or something is uh, the family stuff. This is very dangerous territory because it, it involves its real people uh, and their actual families. Um, so I'm extremely cautious about giving any kind of advice. And uh, my advice is limited almost solely to what it says in the big book. Uh, your page references, if you like page references, are pages 98 to 99. Um, and then 
the chapter uh, it, it's basically from uh, page 115 to 135 that 20-page block has got a bunch of a bunch of things don't do these but do do those things not to do things to do and I get people just to read those passages and do what it says and let me just get the big book as we call it up on the screen I might share it if I may I think I probably can So 98, um, though his family be at fault in many respects, he should not be concerned about that. He should concentrate on his own spiritual demonstration. Argument and fault finding are to be avoided like the plague. And then the ne next important bit is on the next page. Um, the alcoholic continues to demonstrate that he can be sober, considerate and helpful regard will arise of boundaries and uh so this is it's usually with family this is the point I, I sort of share with my, my experience of what boundaries are and how you set them and I think there are two types of boundary first type of boundary is the have we talked about boundaries before or not in these sessions I can't remember okay so the first type of boundary is the I can't I won't boundary so when the boundaries do with me um you know, you're invited to a family gathering. Uh, all the people who press your buttons because they're all the buttons are going to be there. You're seven months sober and it's in a country house 47 miles from a railway station. You have no car. Everyone's going to be drunk. Should you go? <laughs> That's the question. Um, <laughs> And taxes, they get, and it's over a long weekend, bank holidays, deepest Scotland. It's going to be snowing. <laughs> um, you know, a possible boundary is I can't come, or I won't wish to come. You know, the line I always quote this one from Phoebe and friends, um, where someone asks her to do something. She said, "Gee, I wish I could, but I don't want to." And so, you know, this is always an option to just duck out of things. Where boundaries um, get trickier is where it's a boundary where you want someone else to do something, either start doing something, stop doing something or do it differently. And then you've got the five levels to escalate through of a polite request, offering a transaction. So a transaction is if we if you come out with me and my mother this weekend, I'll go out with you and your mother next weekend. Deal. If you come to my work dinner, I will come to yours. If I do the dinner tonight, will you do the laundry? Transaction. Um, the third type of boundary is the, um, uh, the covert, so covert consequences. 
So when someone, the most obvious example is, uh, uh, if you've got a family member that is sometimes rude and accusatory and insane and sometimes really pleasant, the covert boundary is to um, basically you don't reply unless they're pleasant. If they're unpleasant, you don't reply and they get to join the dots and recognize if they want your engagement, they're going to have to play nice. That's the covert boundary. The overt, the overt consequences is when you say, um, if you carry on shouting, I'm going to put the phone down and then they carry on shouting and then they hear a click. That's the overt. That's the, so you threaten the overt consequence and then you enact the overt consequence, which can be putting the phone down, leaving, calling the police, changing the locks, something like that. So I run through those, but honestly, honestly, um, I'm very skeptical. I'm, I'm, I'm very clear about like the I can't, I don't want to boundaries. I think those are very, very useful to me and I use them a lot. What I'm much more skeptical about, particularly with families, uh, because if it goes wrong, you're kind of stuck with your blood relatives, you're stuck with them literally forever. You know, you can excommunicate a family member, but they remain your family member. It's not like leaving the home group. Uh, you know, you're, you're stuck with the relationship, whether or not you're seeing them. So one has to be terrible with the family. Is uh, uh, something that Tom sponsor says, don't expect much to change. So when you realize that probably not much, if anything, is going to change, the question is, what's the point in even trying to set the boundary? It just aggravates people stick to one a month, find a really careful, subtle way of communicating things. Um, you run out of the bouncers really, really quickly. Um, what you're left with, now th these, all, these tools all help in all sorts of situations. Um, the, the one type of situation which is very knotty is people in romantic, relationships which are toxic and involve verbal or physical violence and um, people uh, in other sort of family relationships but with verbal physical violence um, with the with the ones where it's romantic relationships um, I've got to the stage where I've discovered it's just, I've probably mentioned this before, it's just like if they're drinking or taking drugs or, you know, eating 17 Belgian buns. They're high. They're high on the drama, the violence, the toxicity, the so-called codependency, which is, I, I hate the word, but there we go. Uh, and they won't make any progress in that actual program if they stay in a relationship. So I can't, I, I won't tell someone to leave the relationship, but what I will say is I... I don't think the time trying to, I, I'm spending trying to help you is helping while you're in the relationship. So I can't sponsor you if you stay in the relationship. There are a thousand other people that can sponsor you. If you want to stay in the relationship and have a sponsor, ask one of them, but I'm not doing it. Because it's page 96. The, if, if the toxic relationship is so getting in the way of, uh, like it occupies nine tenths of the room so there's only a tenth of the room left for the program there's a there are 
magical creatures in the Harry Potter wizarding world who are, this is the adjective that JK Rowling made up, Karanaptixic. And what Karanaptixic means is that they grow to fill the space they're in. If you can entice one into a teapot, it will fill the teapot. If, if it escapes into a large room, it will grow to fill the room. And the toxic relationships are like that, whatever their life is like. And I've been like this, when I'm in a toxic relationship, I haven't been in one for years, many years, thank God, fingers crossed, touch wood. Um, it, it occupies nine tenths of my consciousness. Whatever, however big or small my life is, it's going to occupy nine tenths. And I can't help people who are in a toxic romantic relationship. Send them straight. Where's Dominic? There you go. Send Dominic can help with those. <laughs> Poor old Dominic's going to have to get a stream of calls. Uh, he knows where to send them. It's a special place some of us know about. Um, and, you know, maybe that they can be helped by another fellowship. Um, the family ones are trickier. As, as I say, you're stuck with them. Um, with my own family, there are three categories, I think there are three categories of people. There are people I'm, I'm sure, I don't know where this tape is going. I hope this doesn't get broadcast to anyone in my family. There is someone in my family who actually listens to these, so I have to tell him to be very careful, you know, where he, but don't play this at home. <laughs> there are some people I'm largely indifferent to. They're like, fine. Like if I'm at a wake, fine i'll talk to him you know we're not going to be exchanging christmas presents we're not going to be um you know we're not going to be having huge amounts of hangout time together great but there's no problem um there are some people i've got some some um troubled very troubled relations particularly on the french side the english side are much more sedate but the french side ooh, um there are some whose behavior is so extreme and so bizarre and so criminal, actually. Um, like Charlotte Rampling, you know, upper class criminal, but criminal, um, you know, seven figure criminal, that kind of thing. They're so awful. I mean, they've got hearts of gold, I'm sure, somewhere, but I just, it's just too much toxicity to deal with. I can't even go near it. And then, Everyone else, there's the everyone else. And everyone else, you know, because I'm immense, I was immensely troubled, I'm a little better now. I come from a family which is very, very troubled. And there are some very troubled people. Now, some of the troubled people are good as gold and sweet, and occasionally they do strange things, and you can't try and help them where you can. But ooh, some of the people, it depends what day you catch them on. If they're on a good day, then you can have a normal conversation. If they're on a bad day, uh, God help you. And when I used to go and visit my mother in Dorset, she, she's, she's much older now. This is many years ago. I used to go down to when she lived in Dorset, I used to go down and visit her. And, and she's got a thousand good reasons for being difficult. So this is not to, I don't want to sort of pillory her. So if I'd had her life, I'd be far more difficult than she is. She's amazing considering what she's been through. But anyway, when we arrived in Dorset, for a weekend visit, Jonathan would go to Tesco's to buy champagne, chocolate, and flowers. Now, whilst he was there, my mother had built up a head of steam over days and weeks, 
with all the things she wanted to reproach me for. And our deal was when Jonathan was at Tesco's, she would see her opportunity. She would get it all off her chest. He'd come back with the flowers, the chocolate, the uh, champagne. And since she'd got it off her chest, she was fine for the rest of the weekend. She just needed to get it off her chest. And so what I practiced was quietly listening to it, not engaging with any of it and seeing past the behavior to the hurt child within keeping my focus on that as being the real person. The surface behavior is not her. The real person is innocent and wounded. That's all. They're innocent and wounded. And so this is something that I will share with people. If the person is going to be in your life because they're your mother, and you, you, they're your mother. Um, you try and, I tried to estrange myself for a while for a couple of years and it was no less painful than seeing her regularly it was is you're no further ahead by estranging yourself as the relationship continues psychically i don't know how that happens my brother tried to estrange himself from her and eventually killed himself so it doesn't work and the relationship between him and her has continued to this day unresolved because he didn't resolve it while he was on this plane so she still has a disordered relationship with him and with my sister who died earlier this year. So I think the job with these ones, I have to face these ones. And the way I face them, they're very difficult, but it's, as I say, it's, the, it's all the Emmett Fox stuff of seeing the real person behind the surface. And over many years, they stop acting out in my experience, because when they see, the, I remember the, the moment it, my mother broke, <laughs> in a good way broke, um, she was having a go. I was on the phone to her. She was having a go. And she said, she, 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 she attacked me for something, something. I can't remember what it was. You see, I can't remember. Isn't that great? Can't remember. She attacked me for something. And she said, so what are you going to say about that? And I said, I don't know. Nothing is coming into my head because I was thinking about fairies or unicorns or something. I was deliberately not mentally engaging in it. And she carried on. And she said, now, has, has anything occurred to you yet? Any answer? Do you have anything to say? You have nothing to say because everything I am saying is true. If it wasn't true, you'd have an answer. <laughs> that is it's amazing. Amazing. And at one point I said, I'm so, so nothing, mind blank. And she laughed. And she never did it again. At least not in that way. There are little spurts of it where she starts to have a go. Uh, but that particularly ferocious form of attack, she, because I remained completely neutral, kind of held her in that position. She finally saw it. And once she'd seen it once, she didn't have the nerve to continue. It was extraordinary. But I had to withstand that for years. I say withstand. All I had to do was not fall for the illusion that any of it was real, at least real for me. Her, she, what she was experiencing, she was experiencing real emotions. They weren't a reflection of the reality. This was all going on inside her bubble. It was nothing to do with me. By learning how to sit with that for a very long time and not react to it, eventually it changed. 
I did not need to do anything to change it other than not try and change it. That's the paradox. For the years I tried to fix and change and control that behavior, it got worse. When I stopped trying to fix, change, control and just sat there for years, eventually it stopped. It's the, it's the only way. And um, so what I'm practicing much more at the moment is uh, keeping my big fat mouth shut. And, it's, it, and so those, those are the three things I can offer with family. But, you know, the, there are some people where it's irremediable and maybe you have to separate. There are other people who are neutral and it's fine. The people who aren't very well, um, some are non-aggressive, in which case you just love them and look after them and do what you can. The ones who are aggressive, that is an option. What I did with my mother is an option. And I'm glad I did it. You know, the sort of distant French cousins, the crazy French cousins, there's there's no love lost there. But with my mother, it needed to be dealt with. Um, But my experience, this is a, I shouldn't really, well, I'm going to say it. Okay. Um, this is where drama crosses over with the family stuff. So there is a solution. There is a way of learning how to be different with the very difficult people, but you've got to want it above all else. You've got, you've got to want to not be part of the drama and whatever stage of development I was at a stage of development for a very long time, that the drama I had with my mother was part of my identity. So I wanted to be free of the consequences of the drama, but I didn't want the drama narrative to collapse because it was part of my existential position in the world. If I didn't have that, who was I? What would, if I, if my childhood was actually fine, who would I be? Was the whole thing a lie? Very difficult to let go of a drama structure. So people have got to want to, if they don't want to, don't push them. And as my sponsor says, don't pick unripe apples. Um, I think that's all I've got on family, Alistair. Uh, was there one more topic? Uh, drama and family. Was it? Yeah, there was. There was one more, which is which is workplace. This is far more straightforward. It's terribly simple, actually. Workplace stuff. Um, Part of it is boundaries, how to get on with other people. And I think I mentioned this before. It's very simple. Uh, it's very simply a matter of applying the tradition, the principles contained in the tradition um, systematically. And uh, Dennis F. is your primary go-to for the principles behind the traditions. Um, when people have got corporate structures they're dealing with and you know, it's how different departments work with each other, um, how businesses are structured, how partnerships are structured, how the family business, because a family is, a, is in effect a type of business, then it's the concepts. So um, you simply sort of throw people in the deep end with the traditions if it's to do with interpersonal stuff and the concepts if it's to do with structural stuff, like how decisions get made, how those decisions get implemented, how responsibility and authority work, how delegation works. It's the concepts. And uh, I'll tell you, just very, very briefly, there isn't much time. Uh, that, that solved, it, it, with, with those things, it's actually the traditions and the concepts, not the steps. I mean, you need to be in a fit state yourself, but it's the traditions and the concepts and the principles contained within them that actually resolve those situations, just like they do in a group. Um, 
but I've got a, a, a friend who works for um, uh, one of the big American banks. Um, I can't tell you what it's called, but it's got, it rhymes with, no, I'm not, not even going to do that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, he's literally too senior for me to even joke about this. But we've had situations where he's explaining the, the stuff that's going on in, in the bank. And we can diagnose the problem amazingly effectively and quickly by systematically going through concept, concept one, concept two, where, where is this business going wrong in terms of the delegation of authority and decision-making and responsibility being out of alignment with um, authority, which is what the whole thing is about. Uh, if you have authority and uh, if you have authority and responsibility properly allocated with a proper delineations of where decision-making takes place, who is responsible for the decisions, who they're then delegated to, what scope the delegate, delegatee has, it, everything becomes clear. And it's amazing how many unsolvable, complex business situations yield within half an hour to the application of the solutions and the concept. It's really extraordinary. Um, so that's... If they're in work and they have problems, then that is your opportunity for, to, to get them to work on the traditions and concepts. And it's far more useful, actually, in my experience, to, to do it that, to the traditions and the concepts that way, rather than doing cold as like academic exercises. So that's, that's all I've got on there. And I think that's me done for step 12 topics. Super, thank you, Tim. Um, and with that, I'll open it up for questions. James. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for that presentation. Uh, the question I have is um, related to family and working with somebody, particularly if they're newly sober or newly in recovery, and the, the dynamics within their family is ch has changed because well, they're, and for example, in AA, they're no longer drinking while they're with their family. And my question is, how important or useful is it to help somebody to see that their the spirit that they do things in is is um, something that can help them have a more healthy relationship with their family? And I'm thinking, for example principles out of uh, that are outlined in the big book like i think it's in the family afterwards it's got the idea of giving rather than getting will become the guiding principle um whether helping people to apply those sorts of principles when they have contact with their family is helpful alongside the the out when you were talking about changing one's perception so for example with maybe a parent seeing them as innocent but wounded, um, is it helpful to suggest that people change their attitude when they're actually spending time with their family? Or yeah, it, it's kind of the only thing to change. Actually, if the attitude changes, everything else changes um, uh, automatically. Um, people in AA and well, all the fellowships think they're really good at concealing their emotions. It's like they say, I hid behind a wall 
and no one saw the real me. I'm like, come on. We could see it from 50 feet away. You were concealing nothing just because you weren't saying anything. It's like someone walks in a room, you know where they are in their life. Do you know what I mean? It's like sometimes people walk in the room, the room lights up, other people walk in the room, a chill, the air, you know, the, the temperature drops 10 degrees. Um, you know, I thought that I'm being super subtle with Jonathan and I've just, I've been leaking horribly. So um, what I've been taught to do by, well, it was Jim, Jim Willis. It was a very simple talk actually I had with him, but he said, whatever darkness you've got in your mind about your family, do not inflict it on your family. So uh, keep yourself absolutely squeaky clean when you're with them. Really pay attention to lot, not letting anything leak with, you know, doing things loudly or, or uh, sighing or huffing or funny little silences before replying. You know, there's subtle ways you indicate that you're pissed off. To really adopt the same attitude that you would if you had... Uh, if you're at work, because everyone knows how to behave or almost everyone knows how to behave with policemen and bosses. Like, you know, when you're just on the verge of getting arrested and you have to switch or you're in serious trouble in about two minutes time, that whatever skill got you through that or when your boss is about to fire you, just deploy that with your family in extremists. Otherwise, withdraw from the situation get yourself calm, get your head on straight uh, and adopting the attitude of um, I'm here to forgive, which means to withdraw judgment. I'm here to serve. And page 85 is super helpful with this. Uh, every day is a day where we must carry the vision of God's will into all our activities. How may I best serve thee? Thy will not mine be done. So what I do, and I suggest to other people to do this, go to the loop, say that line from page 85 and go back in as the servant. So you have no stake. You're just there to serve. Is there anything I can do, my Lord? Now, don't say my Lord or they'll think it's sarcastic. So don't add that. Um, but that to take that attitude of I'm here to serve, if there's nothing you can do, say, let me know if there's anything I can do. Go and do your Sudoku in a corner sitting on the floor. Just don't just, you know, be ignorable. Um, and that will go an awful, awfully long way. Sometimes people in AA say, you know, while well, my behavior is better, you know, my thinking is still terrible and I'm all over the place, but my behavior is better. And that's kind of fine. It's like it, at least we're all glad you're not punching people anymore. But that just creates a tension. And it's when there's a tension between the outsides and the insides. It's like an elastic band. When you let go, it'll snap and it'll snap back to its original shape. So the job is actually to change the internal attitude, to drop the, the snarky, snide, cynical, victim, blamey attitude and just put on a new, not just put on a new face, but have that face be an expression of a new attitude inside um and i think that that's vital it takes a lot of practice
Thanks, Tim. Uh, if you have time, if we have any more questions, Tim. So um, I was talking with, with Ellie Shever. We've, we've kind of got to the end of the step 12 thing. Are we uh, doing the early chapters from next week or is that going to be at some later date? Um, shall, I, shall I stop the recording, Luke?